Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to you online. And I want to encourage you to... Uh, to focus on what we're talking about this morning, and uh, we're so glad you're joining us and so glad we can interact with you online. I would encourage you to post a picture of yourself today on our comment section of Facebook. That would be awesome. So we can kind of, the thing that I hate about this time is the worst is I just can't see faces, you know? And I see the faces in the room today, so glad to see about 40 or 50 people here this morning and see your faces. It's like there's real people that still exist in the world. It's amazing to get to see you this morning. Uh, but children, and when you finish your project that Julie's given you the Play-Doh for, if you would take a picture of it, and we'd like, to, we'd like to have that posted on our Facebook as well. If you're home, go ahead and post that because we want to see what you've created. Well, we open God's Word, and what we do with God's Word is we want to experience what it actually says. That's our goal in preaching. We want to proclaim what God's Word says because we really want to know, right? Sometimes we are not so excited about knowing what others think, though, right? I was honored this week. I got a an email from a friend of mine, a local pastor, and he said, would you fill out a survey on me? Would you evaluate my leadership and what you know of me? And uh, because I'm doing a, a study of our ministry, and he said, I, I want to know what you think about, uh, about me and my leadership. And I said, I said I'd be happy to. I'll, I'll try to make up some good stuff, right? Aren't you always tempted to do that, you know? Oh, yeah. He goes, no, give me your gut-level reaction to this survey. He said, I really want to know, and the survey really needs to know what you think. How many people in this world do you trust that way? That you would like for them to tell you really what they think. That you would like to know exactly what they think of you, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. I mean, you really got to think that person loves you to know what they really think, right? Often we think we've got our, our mind-reading capability, don't we? I already know what she thinks. You know, I, I know that they think I'm wonderful. You know, I know that she thinks this. I, I, know that, I already know that. We think we've got this, this uh, mind-reading capability when in reality, we think we know what others think about us, especially when it's good, right? That's kind of, yeah, well, for sure she must think this is good about me. For sure they must understand. We really don't, though. And in some ways this is good, right? Because I don't know that we always want to know what someone else thinks about us. I mean, maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe there's a limit to what we really want to know about people's inner thoughts about us. But when it comes to our God, do I really want to know what He thinks? Do I really want to know God's perspective on me? We're in a series called Compelling Love. And today we're going to talk about this God who loves us even though He knows all about us, even though He created us, and even though He made it so we even can't get away from Him. 
Our question today as we look at this psalm is, how do we respond to a God like that? What is our response to a God who loves us like that? So look with me at Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 1, 139, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Those are the first six verses of a 24-verse psalm. It's, the, it's a poetic form. This is the first stanza. He says, God, you have searched me. I mean, that phrase alone says that God already knows everything there is to know about you. He says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. Sometimes people think, well, you know, God's so far off. I don't really know that he's aware of all that I'm doing. You ever thought that? I don't know that he knows. You know, he doesn't care when I sit down, when I stand up, when I go to bed. You know, he doesn't. No, he, he knows all of that. He knows all about you. He says, you know my path and my lying down. He says, you know my ways. You know where I go. You know the way I live my life. You know my lifestyle. You know all about me. And not only that, you know what I say And you know what I'm going to say before I even say it. That's how intimately God knows you. I mean, even the person that knows you best, maybe your husband or wife or a brother or sister, the person knows you best, they don't really know exactly what you're going to say before you say it, do they? They may can guess, but God knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows what you're thinking. In verse 4, he says, and even in light of that, You hem me in, or the old uh, King James would say, you hedge me in behind and before. You stop me from going too far. You keep me from going backwards. You hem me in, and in that you lay your hand upon me. Oh, I love that. It's kind of similar to the picture of Psalm 23 where he says, you know, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The, the rod kind of, kept, kind of defended you from evil and also kind of was the, was the tool to, uh, to bring some punishment or some discipline. And the staff pulls you back from the edge of the cliff. He says, I, you hem me in, you stop me from going too far, and you keep me from standing still, and you lay your hand upon me. Think about the hand of God on your life. There's probably been some times in your life where he stopped you. Maybe that's happening today. And you may feel in this COVID crisis like you're being hemmed in. And you're stopped. And you can't go forward and you can't go backward. But I want you to know God's hand is on you. Even when you feel hemmed in. I would say it's most on you when you feel hemmed in. And you feel stopped. I can't go forward. I can't go backwards. That's when God is dealing with you in your life in an amazing and powerful way. He hems me in 
behind and before, and he lays his hand upon me. In verse 6, he says, such knowledge, it's just too wonderful for me. I, I can't attain it. It's high. It's, it's, it's beyond me that the God of the universe would care about Steve, would care about Cassie, would care about Scott, would care about Angel, so much that he'd be involved intimately in every detail of my life. It's a powerful, powerful thing. God knows all about you. And God loves you. I mean, who would love you if they knew everything that you thought and did, right? I mean, some of you maybe, but some of us have some thoughts that aren't so nice sometimes, right? And I, I really am working on this, this instrument that when you walk in the church, all of your thoughts will be revealed. It'll be up on the screen. Wouldn't that be wonderful? All of your thoughts, oh, it's so good to see that person. Doesn't her hair look nice? Doesn't the pastor look good in that shirt? You know, all those things, I'm sure that's what all of you are thinking, and no one is thinking anything negative, right? Wouldn't that be wonderful? We just shout out all, no, it really wouldn't, would it? It's so important for us to know God loves us, even though he knows all about us. Let me ask you, can you feel God's love today? Do you feel the love of the one who created you? Psalm 139, verse 7, takes us another step further. It says this. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. God loves you so much, even though he knows everything about you. He loves you so much, you can never get away from him. He'll never let you go. I love this imagery here. Look, he says, is that, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to heaven, which he may mean that when he ultimately dies, or he may mean more likely when, if I go up to the mountaintop, which was into the heavens for them, right? If, if you're way up there in the sky, you're still there. If I climb the highest mountain, you're there. For us, if you take, if you take an airplane and go as high in the sky as you can, if you go to the International Space Station, God is still there. And if I go beneath the earth, if I go to the place of the dead, or maybe if I go into a deep cavern or a mine, if I go deep into the earth, what happens? You're still there. Let me ask you, have you been maybe to the depths of your life emotionally? Maybe you've been depressed. Some very, very hard times. I want you to know, God is still there. He hasn't abandoned you. You get high, you get low, God is still there. God is still at work. And I love this when he says, if I take the wings of the morning, and people say, what are the wings of the morning? What does that mean? If I get on an airplane early in the morning? Maybe. But probably what the psalmist is thinking of is when the sun comes up and the sunbeams streak across the sky and the wings of the morning come out of the east, 
and they go all the way across the sea. It's like he's on the beach of the Mediterranean down there in Israel, and he's looking out. For us, it'd be the Atlantic Ocean. If you, if you see the wings of the morning, you see those sunbeams shoot across the sky. Even I go to the uttermost part of the sea, even if I take a boat and I just leave and I head east and I go past Angel's house in the Bahamas and I just keep going all the way toward it, I get farthest. God is still there. He's still there. See, even if I'm running from God, He's still there. Even if I get frustrated with God, He's still there. He said, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. And then He says, surely if the darkness shall cover me in light and the light about me be night. He goes, even the darkness is as, is as light to you. No matter how dark it gets on a moonless, starless night, even how dark your life may be and how troubled it may be right now, He's still there. He's not abandoned you. The darkness can't hide you. I love how Romans describes this God and His love for us. Verse 35 of chapter 8 of Romans says this, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or COVID, or racial injustice, or difficulty, or challenges, or sin. No, he says, if tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long, and we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who, what, abandoned us, who doesn't like us, who doesn't know him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from him and his love. His love is absolutely available to you today. Nothing that's happening in your life, nothing that's going to happen today or tomorrow can separate you from His love. He will not let you go. The other side of the coin is, you can't run from Him either. I love the story of Jonah, and those of you who are part of our church for a long time know I talk about Jonah a lot. And Jonah tried to run from God. Jonah 1, chapter 1. The Bible says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Get this. But what did Jonah do? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah says, God, I don't want to do what you want me to do. So I'm going to go in the opposite direction because I want to get away from your presence. How did that really work out for Jonah? Was he ever able to get away from the presence of the Lord? No, there was a big storm. They tossed him in the water. God prepared a fish got Jonah and swam him back pretty much to where he started. You can't get away from the presence of the Lord. You can't get away from the presence of the Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. He said, Jonah, I don't want you to miss my presence. 
I still want you to do what I've called you to do. So guess what? I've hemmed you in behind and before in the belly of a whale, and I've delivered you on the beach to do what I called you to do. See, God's love is so great. He loves us even though he knows all about us, and he loves us too much to let us go. And this love is founded in the fact that he made you. That he made you. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18 says this, as Julie said earlier, For you formed me, you formed me, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, just like you all are making those beautiful clay things right now. You, he formed us. Only God is a little better at it than we are, praise God. Um, he, he knit us together, he formed us, he made us. So it didn't just happen, it's not just something that, that a mother and a father do that creates a baby. It is God does it inside the mother. He says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. He says, I praise you, for I am fearfully, I am, I'm amazingly and, re, and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. He's saying, you already knew how I was going to live. Not only does God know how you're living, he already knew that's how you were going to live before you were even born. He knew your days. Verse 17, how precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. David, the psalmist, is overwhelmed by this greatness of God and the thoughts that he has towards us and the love that he has for us. He's, he's overwhelmed. He's worshiping. Yes, you're amazing. You're incredible. And you would think that maybe the psalm would end there or that maybe it would be just another verse of praise for God. But that's not what he does. So we have this tremendous love of God that loves us even though he knows everything about us. He loves us so much he won't let us go. He loves us so much because he created us. And watch where David goes in verse 19. It really takes an interesting turn. He says this, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I, I count them my enemies. What? He's talking about this great God, and he turns and he starts to talk about the wickedness of humans and how he hates the wickedness, those who speak against you, those who are malicious against you, those who rebel against you, Lord. Those who take your name in vain. In other words, they... They act like they're one of yours, but then they use you to get what they want for their own benefit. They're like a sheep, I mean a wolf in sheep's clothing. I hate that. I hate the evil of men. I hate all that. God, you're great. I hate all the evil. Okay, that's, that's fine. I, I get that. I don't know why that would be there. And then look what he says in verse 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me 
and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, I don't know if you remember, but at the beginning of the psalm, what does he say? God, you have searched me. You already know all about me. So why does he come back at the end of the psalm and say, God, you need to search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You see, David is saying to God, I know you've searched me, but now I actually want to know what you've found. I actually want to see what's inside the report card, if you will. I want to see what's inside your report on me. I really want to know what you think of me. See, it's one thing to say, God, I know you love me and I know you know all about me. And I know you're forgiving me for a lot of stuff and I've, I've tried to repent, but he's saying, no, God, I, I want to know exactly what you know about me. I want to see myself from your perspective. This is where it gets rough, doesn't it? When I come before God's word, do I say, God, I, I want to know what's in your word? I want to see myself through the eyes of your word? Or do I want to make your word say what I want it to say? You see, receiving his love is also receiving his way. Look what he says there at the end of, at the end of verse uh, 24. He says, see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, see if there's any way that is opposed to your way, that's going the opposite of your way, that would be grievous to you, Lord. See if there's any way that doesn't work, that doesn't fit in with the way that you're going. See, receiving his love is receiving his way. But when you reject his way, you reject his love. You say that again. When you reject his way, you reject his love. Some people say, well, I know that God loves me no matter what, and I'm just going to keep, you know, he's going to always love me. And I, I think that's who God is. But when you reject his way, you're saying, God, I, I don't really need your love. I'd rather have my way than have your love. You see, you're never going to enjoy his love until your way is his way. Let me ask you, has he changed some ways in you? Has he changed some ways, some direction from the way that you live? Has he changed some ways See, we constantly search the Bible for ways to justify our selfishness and our pride. You ever do that? This is how I want to live, God, so I'm going to find stuff that you have said in here that means this is okay. Have you ever done that? Nobody's ever done this in this room or, in the, or watching us online, but maybe you know some people who've done that, or maybe you've been tempted to do that, right? God, I, I really want to live this way, and I want to be selfish. I want to live a lifestyle the way I want to live it. And I want to find some ways that I can justify how I treat people, maybe how I spend my time, maybe how I spend my money. God, I want to justify all of that. So I'm going to work hard to find verses in here that, that allow me to do that. Or I'm going to look in here and I'm going to discredit the verses and redefine them the way I want to define them. But that's not what the Bible's for, is it? See, the Bible was not written to allow us to, to adjust God to suit us. The Bible was written so that we could adjust to God. 
That's what this, why this was written. It's for us to be able to adjust to what God says, to who God is, to what he does. God, I want to see what you want me to be. I don't want to try to adjust you and make you be the way I want to be. See, here's what needs to happen. When I consider my way, I need to look at God's word and say, God, what are you like? How do I live like Jesus? Because that's when I experience his love. But in order to do that, in order to receive God's love, I have to open the door to hear what he really thinks. To get his view of who I really am. I have to say, God, I'm willing to change. I come to you with open hands. Instead of coming to him with closed hands saying, God, I'll follow you, but this is the way it's got to be. This is the way I've got to be. This is my personality. This is what I do. This is how I live my life. This is my sexuality. This is how I spend my money. This is how I spend my time. No, I need to come to him and say, God, I want to be like Jesus. I, I want to, you own it all. I want my life to be like you. Show me what needs to change. Show me how I need to adjust my path. I repent doing anything that would grieve you. That's a good way to look at it. God, is there anything in my life that would grieve you? See, when we hold on to things that grieve God, we walk away from his love. We miss out on the greatest love in the universe. This morning, would you let the love of God change your way to the eternal way. Would you let, would you respond to God's compelling love to say, God, I love you so much. I want to change my way to be your way. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to adjust to you. No, that's not radical. That's just normal following of Jesus. God, where do I need to change? My attitude? My selfishness? My lack of trust in you with my things, with my time. God, how do you want to change me? Because I want to experience your compelling love. He made you. He knows all about you. He will not let you go. Some of you may have never experienced God's love. You've you've experienced God's ways and you know how you're supposed to live, but you've maybe never experienced the love of God that compels us to live for him. Today is the day to say yes to Jesus, just like Johnny Opria did. And we baptized Johnny last night. It was a glorious time as he said God changed his direction. He used people. He used events. He even used prison. And now Johnny's following him his way. You may need to adjust as well. If you've never received the love of Jesus Christ, I urge you today, say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I'm wrong. My way is wrong. I need to repent of my way. I want to turn, and I want to go your way. I want your blood to count for my sin. I want your spirit to live within me. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time, but maybe you haven't been living in his love. Because there can become a point in our lives when we say, you know what, I, I want to go my way. And we walk away from his love. I urge you today, God's love is available right now as it ever was. You just have to turn from your way 
and make it his way. Would you pray with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.